0: This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. For the first time in over a decade, the city of Chattanooga has taken a comprehensive look at its park system. I spoke with Scott Martin, the new director of Parks and Outdoors, to discuss the impact parks have on our city and what this new comprehensive plan might look like. This episode is sponsored by Wiseman Music. Does your neighbor's dog howl when your piano is played? When your piano was last tuned, could you still ride the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Then give Wiseman Music a call at 850-450-7867 to get that piano tuned and ready to play. That's 850-450-7867. Keep calm and play on in tune with Wiseman Music. I'd also like to thank my Patreon supporters, especially the Marks family and Stephen Colt. There we go. There we go. All right. If you could please introduce yourself, kind of give us a little bit of your professional background and and what brought you to this role in Chattanooga.
1: Yeah. So, hey there. Um, I'm Scott. I like long walks on the beach. Um, No, but I'm Scott Martin. I'm the new administrator uh, for Parks and Outdoors here in Chattanooga, joining uh, the administration the 1st of February. I come here most recently from up the road a little bit in Louisville, Kentucky, um, where I was leading um, in in successive order, a couple nonprofit park conservancies uh, that were building urban park systems. Uh, The Louisville community is a little different than a lot. Um, They've really leaned on the nonprofit sector to build and operate free parks. Uh, So kind of the new business model up there is what I was doing. And then before that, I was outside of Roanoke, Virginia for about eight years uh, in local government doing parks and open space preservation, economic development, stuff like that. And then before that, I was in Boise, Idaho, where I did undergrad, grad, uh, and then worked five years out there uh, for the parks department in Boise, Uh, but born and raised in Virginia and can't tell you how tickled we are to be here. We were in Louisville for about 10 years. I'm a mountain boy. Um, That's enough flat land for me for
0: the rest of my life. That box box is checked. Well, great. Uh, So I was hoping you could just kind of tell us a little bit about the Chattanooga Park System generally. How many parks do we have? How much space do they take up? And uh, it looks like on the website for the Parks and Outdoor Plan, which we'll get into in a minute, that you've got it split up into six different types of parks. So, If you could just kind of dive into that.
1: Yeah, let's even zoom out maybe a little further nathan mm-hmm. and if you don't mind and we'll get a little this will be especially dorky everything i do is dorky but this will be especially me too Park dorky um look the the american experience of cities and and i want to speak to the american experience because it's unique is that we really believe in these things called public parks these urban park systems shape our greatest cities and they do so quite intentionally And so if you think about the American Park experience, we all go back to Frederick Balmstead, the father of urban parks. And of course, he gave us Central Park, which most people will know that are listening. And the thinking that he bestowed upon us as city planners and, and city creators is that parks are infrastructure. And this is before we were thinking about green infrastructure, sustainability, all the buzzwords of today. He was thinking this in 1848 where he was telling us parks are the lungs of a city, parks are how we connect, parkways are how we move. And that's what actually drew me to Chattanooga because I don't think you can find a better example across the United States than Chattanooga that's been so blessed with ecological landmarks and waterways that kind of force us to do park work. And then the, the solemnness of the Native American story here, the fact that we are on sacred lands, and the fact that we're here on doubly sacred lands because of the story of American slavery and bondage uh, in our racial history that that undercuts everything in the American South. And then the story of the Civil War that quite frankly is in our city. I mean, these are rare stories that begin to layer on top of one another. Fast forward again is then the renaissance of Chattanooga's waterfront and the riverfront and the audacity that Chattanooga had to say, we're gonna rebuild ourselves around green spaces, which Folks take a lot of pride in it here, and they should. It's it's quite frankly a global model that you don't have to be a big city to play in this space. Chattanooga proved that greatness can be done anywhere if there's focus, accountability, and teamwork. Um, so if you're in the park space and you're asking me why Chattanooga, that's kind of the case, is we are in a remarkable setting to do this work and pick up the mantra where we build the city as a city of hearts or a city in a park. Um, the park system here um, it is a little bit hit and miss. And, and I think we have to have the honesty to admit that it um, it ex- it exceeds your wildest expectations in many locations. You watch the sunrise from my office here, at Coolidge Park against the Hunter. And every morning you feel like the luckiest person to be alive. Um, you're like, go home, Chad, get your drunk. Um, it's that good. And then on the other hand, we have neighborhood parks with with the team. It puts a lot into the maintenance operation, but they may lack a master plan. They lack a there, there. So there's an incredible disparity um, in our park systems. That's not unique to Chattanooga. That's not a criticism. That's just the way it is. So what we're attempting to do with this park plan and with DPO in general, under Mayor Kelly's leadership and city council, they they're both in lockstep on this is to bring some some sense of doing excellence everywhere, bringing that experience of those riverfront parks and then pushing that out across our entire city so that all of our residents have that quality experience um, close to home. And that's what's driving this. The interesting thing, it's been 14 years since the city had a proper parks and rec system plan. That's something you can hold someone accountability to. So you don't know where you're going unless you have a plan. It's been eight years since we've had a proper parks and rec and outdoors department. It was fracked up into a bunch of different agencies. So it lacked a coherence, uh, a singularity of focus that we're now reestablishing as well for operations, design, development. So it's all an alignment of the stars. And then the final piece of this, Nathan, is, look, man, COVID taught us parks matter. You know, if you didn't think urban parks mattered in 2019, I'll grant you some rope and, and give me 20 minutes to talk to you about why they do. I don't have to talk to people for 20 minutes now. We, when COVID hit, we lost our restaurants, our bars, our churches, our museums, our movie theaters. You know, We lost everything except these urban green spaces. And no matter what city you are around the globe, the use of these green spaces, the value people put on them, went through the roof. So we know how much they matter. And now's the time to double down for any number of reasons that I can give you um, to do it. And I really think this community is primed because since I arrived here in February, the number one question I get, if I was to kind of put it into one question is what's next? Um, There's a hunger for what's next for Chattanooga and there's still great muscle memory here and how to do the big stuff. Um, So I think it's a really cool moment for us and it's the most overused term since 2020, but this is another one of those inflection points and and it's a cool spot to be in. Well,
0: great, Uh, if we could Zoom in a little bit further. I think that's a really great overview of, of parks and why they're important. and uh, you know, that experience, like you said of, of being able to see these vistas from, from some of our kind of signature parks is just incredible. And it, it's something that attracts a lot of people to Chattanooga for sure. And really, you know, if we're talking about the Tennessee Riverwalk is, is kind of integral to the Renaissance Uh, because that kind of came on board at the same time as the aquarium and really kicked off Chattanooga's recovery and and put us on the map in a lot of ways. Um, So I was hoping could you and and maybe you don't have the numbers but just like ballpark uh, how many parks do we have and how much park space do we have?
1: Yeah all right so we've
0: got about 87
1: parks depending on how you measure them what's called a park and what's not we'll get into that uh, for some extra special dorky hours. Um, and then uh, they, they about 900 acres, Nathan, in some that the city manages. Again, um, encouraging people to zoom out. you got to think about the city as a system, and the city's not going to do it all. So while we have a city park system, and I'll talk the way we function, nested within the city as well are the conservancies, what the Tennessee River Gorge Land Trust does, what Lookout Gorge Trust does, um, what the National Park Service does, what Hamilton County, the TVA, so when we start, and people will get tired of this, but when we start drilling really into green spaces, we're gonna think that systemic approach um, and then ask what's the role of the city in this system? What's the role of the National Park Service? And we each find our sweet spots and, and we think by doing so, you can do something really, really good.
0: That's awesome, yeah. Um, so the, the park system, it looks like, just in preparation for the the plan, the parks and outdoor plan that we're, we're going to talk about, you've split it up into six different types of parks. Yeah. Can you explain what those different types are and why that's important to understand? And again, like this podcast, super dorky. I don't know how many people are <laughs> listening to a podcast about local politics, but we can assume that like us, they're dorky enough to find this interesting. So don't be afraid yes. to get into the weeds.
1: Yes. Nerds unite. I love it. Okay. But it really matters. So, um, look, parks function differently. And, and it's almost the George Carlin routine of where, I don't know, now I'm riffing, but he said a great thing about development. He goes, first thing a developer does is cut down all the trees and they name the neighborhood after all the trees they cut down, like Maple Street and all that. And it's a great riff, but it's true for parks too, okay? Um, w- let me take you through an example. I think we all acknowledge that Coolidge is a park. Um, it has circulation. It has restrooms. It has shade. We know what it is. Well, let's go to another park, Uh, Summit Park, the softball complex on the eastern end of town, also called a park, performs extraordinarily public functions, but functions fundamentally different than Coolidge Park. So, as a park planner, it's very important that we, as planners, for the first time in Chattanooga, step out and begin to think through the functionality of each one of these park pieces. What service or role do they play? That allows us to then understand what gaps do we have in our system, because you're not going to ask Summit to serve someone the same way you would ask. Southside Park to serve someone. So that's why you see those six categories. Is there a way for us to frame it? Because it can't just be a 10 minute walk to something we call a park. It has to be a 10 minute walk to something that serves a precise function. And this gets to the systemic approach. Building great cities is really not a mystery. Um, If we go around the globe, I can take you to great park cities and they have that systemic approach where neighborhood parks are asked to do X. Community parks are asked, asked to do X. Special use are asked to do something else. You can program them out. You take care of infrastructure that way, such as parking and access. You take care of zoning that way. And things begin to sequence into a rational plan where things make sense. So you're not asking a neighborhood park to host a Tony Hawk skateboard festival. You would never ask that. By the same token, you're not asking Central Park to be the little place where little Johnny goes for just soccer practice. So that's why you see those six categories, is we're starting to put together the pieces that are the bedrock, and then we build around those. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so, so let's just name them off. I know we've got Signature was one of them, and that's like Coolidge Park. That's just where everybody goes. All the tourists come. They ride the carousel. They play in the water. It's, yeah. It is a centerpiece of our park system. Sure, what exactly. are some of the other types of parks that we have?
1: Sure, um, and I'll go through some of the basics and the verbiage. Folks may notice the verbiage we're going to change with this. None of this stuff is carved in stone yet. We're going to find words that make sense for us as we go. Uh, the next one's urban ecology or what we call open spaces. Um, this one, my hunch, is where we're going to see a lot of our our, our focus. Um, we are in one of the most ecologically diverse areas on the planet. So the question we ask ourselves is: What urban ecology systems do we have that are needed to sustain the livability of those plant and animal communities that rely on them? Um, and that's a new space for Chattanooga to think of. Um, so you'll see us do a lot of thinking about those that typically people think, oh, well that means uh, you know, Chattanooga Creek and it does, uh, and waterfronts, but it, but it also can mean fields that, that are maintained as meadows. It, it's about intentionality uh, into the mosaic of the Southern Appalachian landscape. Um, the next one, and, and I'm going backwards now, uh, apologize for the little just breaking up in my head. Neighborhood parks, those are the foundational pieces of our system. That When we talk about that 10 minute walk, that's really what we're talking about, y'all. Now, the question for Chattanooga, the national standard for neighborhood parks about three to five acres. The standard here in Chattanooga is much less. So we wanna talk about minimum size for those park sites where you can get away from traffic, get away from noise and walk around. Riverview Park to me, if folks are familiar with that, is the perfect example of a neighborhood park in Chattanooga. It's here in North Chattanooga. Uh, Rational circulation plan, clean restrooms, playgrounds. Uh, it captures it. The next step up from there is a community park. So that may be a North Hickson park, as it would be. Southside Park probably fits that as well. Uh, Tyner uh, Park can fit that as well. A little bit more sports-oriented, Nathan. Um, the ability to, after work, absorb uh, four, six teams playing something simultaneously. So it gives you a little bit more muscular room uh, that you have to grow and, and be there. You mentioned the signature parks. Another one we're playing around with is special youth parks, and that could be your summit. Um, that could be your skate park at the First Horizon Pavilion. Uh, they they uh, Walden Ridge Park that's about to open, the mountain bike park, that would be a special use park. So that's kind of how you see those big chunks playing together. And then finally, is the regional park. That would be your Greenway Farms. That would be your South Enterprise Park, where you get these bigger sites that, that can really do all of those services. But then you could add in 20 miles of mountain bike trails. You could add in, I'm making up stuff now, an amphitheater, a fairground. Um, So they do something a little bit different. And and that's helping us begin to think our way through what the system looks like. And then when you plot those out on Chattanooga, then you start understanding the service ranges of each, you understand the gaps of each, you start seeing how your people move around in your spaces to understand where you need to move and where you grow. And then Nathan, what we're really charged to do with this work is project ahead. So let's pretend Chattanooga has 300,000 people, prepare for success. Where do we need to go get land now? In advance of that development to handle density later. Um, And and look, hey, we are, I'm a massively pro-urban person. I believe in the positivity of cities. Um, I believe in the positivity of a a dense and balanced Chattanooga. And I believe it could be one of the most livable cities in the nation because it already is. However, to be that in 50 years, there can be steps we need to take now to set those folks up for success later. So we're going to lean into that space as well.
0: So how would something like the, the Riverwalk or the South Chickamauga Greenway fit into that system? Is is that a separate type of park or does it fit into one of those categories? And, and talk about, I guess, how that interconnectivity yeah. kind of affects the success of our, our park system. Yeah, we pull Greenway out. Buddy brought that up because
1: I was thinking parking. We pull Greenways and Blueways out as their own categories. So you'll see us do the lines that connect the community together and linear paths are, are everything. Um, uh, I'm going to stop apologizing for being a dork. Look, the American park experience is fascinating because it went through an evolution, if you follow it, where we did these boxes and, 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 and the box was oriented in terms of I go to this box to do something park-like and then I go home. Well, if you notice in about then late 70s, uh, the linear park began a resurgence, started in the American West um, and then really blossomed across the whole country. Riverwalk here is an example. The Hudson Valley Walk is an example. The Boise River Greenbelt, where I was previously, is an example. The public started to tell us, I'm not so interested in the box. I still like going somewhere to do something. But boy, I like going from A to B. I, I like this movement. And whether I'm walking, biking, paddling, whatever it is. So that Greenway impetus uh, came back. And it's I get to say came back because Olmstead was big on these. If you look at the Fens, uh, his network of the Ribbon of Jewels, his designs in Rochester and, and Buffalo and Boston, and Louisville to that degree, we're back to that that piece of the green spaces connect us again. So you see greenways there, and then blueways, of course, is the paddling trail component. Um, and hey, with all of our water, we'd be nuts not to think about blueways uh, as part of our lifestyle as well. So we see it all as one, one piece. The final piece is this. Um, this isn't something that can exist in a vacuum where the city goes and does this. It has to be a, a partnership with private developers because they control private land. So it has to be an engaged conversation where we're engaged with the developers, the builders, the planners. And you don't just say, what do I need now to get through this development? What we're gonna ask is what type of green infrastructure is gonna help a home sale on its third or fourth sale from when it's built? We're thinking out that 20, 30, 40 year piece of when these parks are surrounded by development and and how do we set ourselves up so that those houses are even more desirable. that those real estate communities hold their value that they're safer that people are more healthy Um, that's how we approach the system thinking as well
0: i'm really glad you brought that up because one of my next questions is is kind of going over the tangible ways that parks can improve lives i'm talking about health outcomes you mentioned property values Things along those nature, we, we can actually put a number of some type on it and say this park has created value in this particular way. Yeah. So if you, if you have any examples of that, either here locally or, or elsewhere, notable examples of how parks can change those outcomes, and then also with that in mind, how this park system fits into the mayor's new One Chattanooga strategic vision and how we can use parks to kind of meet some of those policy goals.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's tons of data out there now about why parks matter. Uh, The Federal Reserve just had a study that came out a couple years ago. I believe they have quantified beauty because, good gosh, economists can quantify anything. Um, But the more picturesque a city is, I believe there's a 6% increase factor in the number of college graduates will locate in that city. Um, And that's the Chattanooga story. And not to bemoan our dear friends, and God bless them, I guess, and pick your ugly city. I won't name any because then I get offensive. But let's just pretend they're flat, boring areas of this country. There's a reason why they have to pay people to move there. And their big move has been paying people to relocate. And we don't. (laughs) So... There's there's advantages to pretty. And I don't think we should run away from pretty and beautiful. I think those are perfectly good values. We know that if you live within a quarter mile of a park that has a good circulation plan, there's something like a 15 percent chance, uh, lower chance you have diabetes. We know that city residents walk more than suburban and rural residents. They tend to be more fit because they're walking to these green spaces and using them. If you look around the globe, and I think it's important to go global. Pull up the Money Magazine or the Fortune Magazine or whatever magazine has the best, you know, the most livable cities across the nation. You know, the Adelaide's, the Vienna's, the Stockholm's. Um, Surprisingly, there are very few American cities ever listed in that. Uh, Vancouver, Washington. And look how important parks are in the metrics for each one of those. Um, It's no surprise. Uh, When Senator Bob Corker really got this movement started on the riverfront here, I was a student of what you were doing from far, far away. We noticed that that Boulder was held up as a model, the Boulder of the East. Um, And let me tell you right now, Boulder is a very special city, but it's identical to a lot of Western cities. It has a major university. It's on the front range. Boulder went one direction. Laramie, Wyoming went another. Um, I would argue it's because they invested in green infrastructure, trails, and conservation. Um, So there's a narrative behind this here um, that I think holds true. And look, hey, my personal story, when I lived out in Boise, um, and I said, I'm from the South, um, I spent five, six years of my life being ripped on by people out in the West who would make fun of me for being from the South where they said, no one exercises you guys, all you do is you sit around and eat fried chicken, you drink bourbon, you watch NASCAR. And I said, okay, A, all those are true. And I'm offended. Um, and they said, but you're not fit. I said, And I bought it, you know, Nathan, I did. I said, yeah, everyone in the West is so much healthier. That was a crap argument. The West built these linear park systems. They built it into their lifestyle. So that whether you're eight months old, eight years old to 80 years old, there was a park for you. In the American South and the Midwest, we built a lot of youth sports parks. We built parks that if you're a kid playing in your sports league, you go. But suddenly when you age out of those sports, we didn't build park systems that serve you. And then surprise, surprise, when the Tennessee Riverwalk opened, I'm sure there were people locally saying, who's ever going to use that thing? Chattanooga proved that if you build these things, everyone will use them. And you're seeing that same thing happen now, where we're learning that if we build parks that serve someone from 8 to 80, and what an average person wants to do on an average day in an average park, you can move health metrics. Um, And that's, I think that's the big lesson to all of us across the globe, in terms of building livable communities.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Maybe not my perfect day, but one of the best days I think I could imagine is Taking the Greenway to go eat fried chicken and drink a bourbon, and then taking the park <laughs> Greenway back home. Uh, that sounds like a wonderful way to spend the spend the evening. It's a perfect um, day, as far as I'm, concerned. I'm not judging. <laughs> so we've talked about all these outcomes. We've talked about uh, the different types of parks that we have and the number of parks that we've had. So let's zoom in on this new plan that you guys are, are just now kicking off and. Yep. Tell us about the Parks and Outdoor Plan. What your goals are, what the timeline is, and how people can get involved.
1: Yeah. All right. So first big move. Um, and 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 kudos to Mayor Burke, who preceded this administration for getting this effort moving. Um, uh, kudos um, to Council for keeping it going in the middle of COVID, and for Mayor Kelly for funding it. Because this city elected to begin a, a massive lift in the face of a lot of change and, and a lot of things that were scary. But that is to begin a, a, what we call the POP, the Parks and Outdoors plan. Um, This is the city's effort to do what I like to call fun planning. This is where we get to ask, what if? This whole exercise is a provocation. What if we were the most livable city in the world? What if I could get to the parks more easily? That's what all this is keyed in on. Um, So this is good aspirational planning. And they hired a company called Design Workshop. Now Design Workshop is the best of the best and cards on the table. when I interviewed for this job and found out Design Workshop was taking over this planning process, that was a big reason that that made this job even more attractive to me. Design Workshop just did Vancouver, Canada's parks and outdoors plan called Band Play. Um, and a colleague of mine, I was Australian, did that as well. So they are very high quality, is what I'm saying. And and this isn't a park plan that's trying to build Chattanooga to keep up with Clarksville, Tennessee, or Huntsville, Alabama. This is building a park plan to say we're going to be Fort Collins, we're going to be Boise, we're going to be Boulder. This is where we want to be. So this is, now what's interesting about it, this is a nine-month planning process. So we have spent the last three months in a laboratory doing more data analysis and crunching more numbers than you ever want to see. We have analyzed every vacant piece of land the city owns for its potential as a park site. We've evaluated our recreation use numbers today and in the future. So we have got a lot of data. The next three months beginning uh, when we're taping this later this evening, but through the next three months is the public input session where we're going to put that data in front of folks and say, hey, y'all, what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? Why do you use a park? Why do you not use a park? What's broke? What should be fixed? What's your idea to bring that authentic voice in? uh, Because you can't do these plans in a vacuum and you don't bring a a boilerplate plan in. You bring the best knowledge, authentically inform it, which the citizens will do. And then our aim, and I am knocking on wood, because I'm telling to do this plan in nine months is quasi insane, it took Vancouver four years, but hammer down because now's the time and we act with a sense of urgency, is to bring city council, the plan forward and the mayor uh, this fall. And for the first time, bring them, and this is what's the great thing about park plans, a rational, predictable, understandable plan on how we make major achievements and advancements in the park plan. So you take away the one district versus another district, or this group wants this, or this group wants this. We bring a a degree of predictability um, with funding strategies that the policymakers can choose from on how to advance the park system forward. And that's the ultimate goal, is is actually to find that one Chattanooga unified vision of what can be, uh, bring some pathways forward for our elected officials and the policymakers to decide what they wanna do, and then follow into it. Because if you do it right, Nathan, um, shovels follow very quickly behind these plans when they're done well. And it can't be a plan that sits on a shelf and collects dust. This is an action plan keyed with urgency. And I'll share from my Boise experience because the rate of growth we had out there is similar to what I feel now in Chattanooga. When I was in Boise, it went from 125,000 people to 225,000 people in eight years. Um, the pace of change, if you don't lean into it and think about green spaces with intentionality, you'll miss opportunities and you're not gonna get them back. Um, and you're, and if, you, if you're doing it on hopes and prayers and I feel like someone will give me a park, that's not gonna get you there. So we have to bring that, that professionalism and that degree of thought to city council. And they've asked us to do it. They are leaning into us um, to bring them uh, data, uh, to bring them pathways forward that will turn into real livability, that turn into real trails, and real parks, and real things that continue to ensure that the Chattanooga that's pitched as the great outdoor city across the nation delivers on its marketing in a, in a real, real way. Um, and that's a high bar because we've got a great reputation. Um, and so having a city that matches its marketing um, is, is not for the faint of heart, but if you can't achieve it, holy crap, hold, you know, hold my beer moment, of we've done something extraordinary on the U.S. landscape.
0: So it sounds like you're asking for just carte blanche, sky's the limit input on what do citizens want to see? It it doesn't sound like you're putting any holds on anything. Just throw it out there. Yeah, Um, always,
1: always start with that, you know, because we, I'm interrupting you, Nathan, but look, Everyone in the parks world missed pickleball 10 years ago. No one saw pickleball coming. Well, guess what everyone wants now is pickleball. So you got to listen to your customer. We're in the hospitality business. We're in the customer business. By the same token, we also, as parks pros, know what works. You know, Central Park was designed in 1848. And the Great Lawn and Sheep Meadow, as they were designed then, function the same today. So it's the blending of the immediate with long-term knowledge that can produce something really cool. But we need the citizens to do blue sky thinking. Um, this is the time for blue sky thinking. And this is a city that does that extraordinarily well. There's gonna be plenty of time for us to focus in, but on the SCAN Focus Act, uh, this is the scan phase to bring us the ideas and inspiration.
0: So is there a timeline for this plan, not for the writing of it, which we've talked about, you said about nine months of of planning and, and processing before it goes before city council, but once the plan is written, and presumably adopted. Yeah, is there some sort of time span of this? Is what we want to accomplish in the next five years, ten years, twenty years? How far out does this extend?
1: That is a great question. I'll tell you this: uh, the plan will be designed to serve Chattanooga for twenty-five ish years. Um, now it's not carved in stone. This isn't right. No, these aren't tablets. It's adjustable. The policymakers then will determine the speed, the approach, and the tactics that they want to take to address these goals. And that's the old politics administration dichotomy. Our, our job as staff is to bring the, the best knowledge we have to the decision makers and then and then help them weigh the decisions that they wanna carry forward because that's the role of the elected officials um, as representing the community. So that's almost a step two. Um, and, and I think it would be, it'd be it be it, you gotta be careful because you always wanna be absolutely transparent with these plans of where Um, the plan ends and where the policy making begins so that's why I'm being very particular about how I frame this Um, but that'll be a very deductive and thoughtful and probably quite frankly lengthy discussion uh, through the mayor and through his work with council about where they want to go Um, but Mm -hmm. the plan will present the roadmap and then if that roadmap if council wants to accomplish it in five years that looks one thing if council wants to accomplish it in 20 that looks different Um, that's up for them to decide.
0: Got it. So I I want to transition. I'm thinking kind of off the cuff here, so so bear with me. But some some kind of tough questions, I guess, Um, how we've talked a lot about kind of the positive outcomes of parks. We've talked about how it's kind of been key to Chattanooga's Chattanooga's success so far, bringing a lot of college educated people to town, uh, Mm -hmm. retaining a lot of college educated people in town, raising property values. what do you say to communities that have historically been underserved? Yeah. Uh, how can they get involved, make sure their voice is heard? And how do we make sure this doesn't become a kind of catalyst for, for displacement?
1: Yeah, no, and that's, a, a, thank you for asking that. Um, fortunately, again, Chattanooga is leading the nation. The Trust for Public Lands, by benefit of them being faced here, Have been vanguards in in my field about engaging the community. Um, I think of Southside Park in particular, where the Alton Park community has been a part of that park. Um, Really, the model for a lot of folks around the nation. I think we continue to deploy that, and that it's this is all relational. Um, That's why the community input is so important: is to build parks to serve folks where they are with what they need. Um, That's a key thing. Is that and then the other key thing is, hey, everyone deserves a great park. Hard stop. Yeah that's that's not too hard to say and by a by a set you know it's a safe park it's a beautiful park it's a fun park that's not something that should be determined by what zip code you live in Um, and it's a key thing that we can do to address our health disparities that in this community are horribly impacted by what zip code you're you're born into so we think that's one of the fixable things Um, and we think that if you do it all for everyone you don't have the gentrification word that we're circling around um, that that's the answer to it. And mm-hmm. I think if we look historically across the United States. We see that's the case. You know, I, central parks, an easy example, but I'm going to use it is central Park's been around for 200 years now, give or take, um, it's been through civil war, economic depressions. It's been the site of, you know, after nine 11, where did everyone go to hit a knee, they all went to central park. Well, look at the Northern end of central park where Harlem connects. That section of Harlem was intact economically uh, for wealth creation and job creation, more so than any other part of Harlem, because of the presence of the park during its darkest days. So we really see them, if you do them right, as a stabilizing element that can help stabilize and recover without pushing people out. Now, the housing prices and and what we're all living through now, this is historical. None of us have seen anything like this in the States. So I think we have to acknowledge that's a real thing that's going on. Um, But I don't think that should stop us from trying to make every single neighborhood better.
0: Yeah, that's great. I I love that outlook. Um, Just still kind of thinking off the cuff a little bit. We talked about how you guys have analyzed every piece of vacant property for use as a park. Uh, Another thing that is going along simultaneously is the mayor is kind of bringing back the Chattanooga Land Bank, which is also looking at these vacant pieces of property and and more with an eye towards affordable housing, but certainly with an eye towards parks as well. Um, how are you guys coordinating, making sure that uh, these goals of a park space for everybody are being balanced against affordable housing, and yeah. how to make sure that we're properly using these resources?
1: Yeah, a great question. Um, the the that is that discussion is to come. So my task is to make sure that the parks ecology accessibility. Um, values are are brought to the table. So I'm kind of focused in my narrow lane right now. But I think, to your point, I think that's what I should be doing. Um, We should be the voice for that. We have other great team members working on the housing piece, the transportation, the library, all the other pieces. They should bring that to the table as well. And then because of the competence of the team, uh, you work the stuff out. Um, But the charge I've been given is to bring the lens of the public park space, green space, ecology, um, and say, okay, what do we have in terms of underperforming assets across the city and where can they best be deployed? There are gonna be some common sense ones that are wetlands, that are floodways that we go, yeah, that's yeah. that should be. I mean, there are gonna be a lot of easy wins. I don't think you're gonna find as much conflict or competing uses for the other lands as we may think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my early preview as well. Um, and then really the policy, and this is where the public is gonna be really interesting to hear their feedback. This city has a lot of pocket parks or smaller, like quarter acre lot parks. Um, one of our discussions is going to be, is that an appropriate service level or should we look at fewer but larger sites that still serve the ten minute walk? Um, I think that's a really interesting discussion that's prime for this community as well.
0: So I've got one last kind of weedsy, dorky question. Um, how is this planning process interacting with zoning? Uh, And this is something, you know, I read a lot of kind of new urbanism kind of stuff going back as far as as Jane Jacobs talks about how a park that is just kind of surrounded by a beltway ends up being empty. Uh, It's not connected to the rest of the the urban fabric you know so coolidge is a great example of a park that does this well because you've got this beautiful park space but then just at the top of the hill you've got restaurants you've got shops you've got places to eat you've got places to just you know enjoy commerce and then you can also go enjoy the park and and these things reinforce one another uh and there's housing too right there uh you know similar miller plaza there's there's a lot going on right there so it can draw from the energy of the city around it, and then I think of another park. Uh, you know, I I live by the South Chattanooga Rec Center. There's also the uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the Montague Statue yeah. Park. Yeah. Um, both those parks to me seem kind of divorced from their surroundings. Yeah. There's nothing around it. You never really see too many people there because it doesn't reinforce that fabric. So so what mechanisms are in place during this planning process or, or how are you thinking about coordinating this with our, our land use policies?
1: Oh, now you're in my wheelhouse. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I can go on for years about this. Um, the lesson is that the park has an impact, but the park's edge is every bit as much of the park as the park itself. So what, what happens around it, to your point, requires a centrality of focus, a centrality of effort. And you'll see us do that. Um, So the first model we take um, is from Melbourne, Australia. And we're we're ripping from them, where they immediately said major roads are public land and public assets, and transportation corridors are what you should look at as it relates to density and projecting where density is going to go. So when we do park design and park applications, we're going to look at the transportation corridors and look at walkability along those. And the framing of how we respond to those sites will be articulated in that respect as well. Um, I think the the then the impetus comes to us, Nathan, to the individual site design. And um let me give you an example. The speed by which you encounter a park amenity matters. And I and, and to give you an example, like if you do a, a you would not do a very artfully uh, richly contextualized botanical planting. Where, uh, where the encounter is at a vehicle at 45 or 50 miles an hour. You do those plantings where someone is walking. That's the same way with Montague as your example or other facilities. We wanna think through the speed by which we're encountering people on those edges and then design the park into that speed so that it actually integrates seamlessly into the community. Jane Jacobs nailed it um, in many respects. Um, and, and, and to go ahead and grab the third rail, sometimes Robert Moses kind of got it right too. Um, I know that's just to be totally controversial, but, um, but it's about the speed of context and the relationship of the community. Now, I, I'm the new guy, so I'm trying still to understand Chattanooga, and, and I know just enough to be dangerous, but in my mind, our city lays out as a vertical city and a horizontal city, and I can almost divide the city into that relationship, and I want to think about, I'm asking our team to think about the park design in both of those contexts. So a Miller Park um, I think a Miller park's a neighborhood park in many respects, especially if downtown living comes back. So how it's programmed will look a lot different than a Coolidge Park, even though you may say they seem similar. Um, so what I'm saying is they do all talk together. And Dan Reuter, the new part and planning director, with his experience from the high, or the Beltline in Atlanta, uh, the quarry in Atlanta, he brings the same outlook we do. Uh, yeah, we're new urbanists as well. I'll own that. Um, I'd love everyone to go to walk to a park, but I acknowledge they won't as well. So building appropriate parking lots, especially now I'm totally riffing. If there's a blue way access for paddling, you damn well better double your parking lot. People are going to bring a boat by car. They're not going to tow it behind them on a bike. So you, you apply some pragmatic realism to this as well. But artfully thinking always about how the park blends into its setting. And then plan for success. And I really believe Chattanooga's success is going to be extraordinary. So build a park that can evolve with the community that it's surrounded by.
0: So it's funny you mentioned that. I I have to mention this because it is just so funny. Uh, You said no one's going to bring their boat behind their bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luke Swab, the host of People of Chattanooga, which is a great podcast for everybody listening. I I highly recommend it. Um, He has a trailer specifically built for his kayak that he brings his bike and then he straps his bike onto the kayak and paddles with it and and just goes all over with his bike and his kayak. And it's really cool to listen to him talk about it. It's really funny. Um, so there is at least one person, (laughs) one person who will do that, but yes, that makes sense. People are going to bring their boats, usually by car, and they need to have that access to get into the river. That makes perfect sense. So we've had all these dorky conversations getting really into the weeds. I want to zoom back out and talk about how people can get involved with the Parks and Outdoor Plan. Uh, You mentioned already, unfortunately, by the time this podcast airs, this meeting will be over. But There's a meeting tonight where you're kind of kicking off this whole public input process. Going beyond that, what opportunities do people have to give their input?
1: Yeah, so um, the key thing: go to the website, and the website has the longest name ever, but it makes total sense. Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors Plan So it's Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors Plan <laughs> um, I'm sure the only people still listening are nerds, but you can totally nerd out on this website. Uh, GIS layered maps until your eyes bleed. A survey. A, you can request a meeting. We're very keen to go anywhere and talk to anybody. Um, We've all been through the public participation process enough in adults. The professional meeting attenders are gonna show up. A park plan though to be (laughs) successful requires everybody to show up and show out. So we will come to you. The Trust for Public Lands and we're partnering with them, they're doing coloring books to go into the parks and get kids to draw what they want. Um, We'll meet with any neighborhood association. We'll show up for a bourbon. I'll show up for lots of bourbons. We (laughs) wanna hear from you over the next three months. So if you go to the website, you can see request a meeting. You can give feedback on a survey. You may be called. We have Hummingbird right now out doing phone surveys in the city, uh, random surveys to, to get people. So we're trying to get as much input as we possibly can to then dovetail with the planning that's been done.
0: And so again,
1: it's Chattanooga plan.com Awesome. And
0: I've already browse it a little bit. It's a great website. I took the survey. It's it's very robust. So I, I recommend everybody go check that out. I will put the link in the show notes. And just in case you're worried that it's only the absolute dorks who are listening at this point, all of this I'll feature in my newsletter uh, and, and make sure everybody gets the, the bite-sized piece great. Uh, just to know that this is happening. So this has been really exciting. I really look forward to, to seeing where this goes. So unless, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? You know, the only thing I'll
1: add is this is a rare opportunity. I hope folks take advantage of it. Um, I've seen what when these plans are taken seriously, they really are turning points for cities. And uh, I'm excited by the energy and the buzz that's out there. And I encourage folks that this is the city shaping moment and parks do shape cities in um, and, and very profound and lasting ways. And I, I love them. Look, I do this career... Because I don't know what else we can do that's going to last a hundred years. I always tell folks that the worst day of a parks director, if you're doing your job right, is the day it opens, the day a new park opens, because it should get better and prettier every day after that. And and the same with this plan. If if when we do it right, I'm going to say yeah, if we're going to do it right. When we do it right, um, it's going to kickstart the next iteration of parks in Chattanooga. And it's not about getting the rest of the nation to notice or making Gardening Gun Magazine or Outside Magazine. I, I think we're, we have the confidence that we know what we are. We don't need to prove anything anymore. I think we need to key in on making life better for our residents and our citizens. And, and this plan I believe will be a success because it does that. Uh, we're not worried about impressing Atlantans. They're fine. Uh, let's make our little Johnny's life a little better. Uh, let's bring a, Let's bring a, a great neighborhood park to a 10 minute walk between every house in our community Let's have every house in our community have a deeper and richer connection with nature as part of their normal life. Um, That's the stuff that I think is really exciting and and is really within our grasp.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at chat civics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening.